Welcome to Hot Plate, a post-foodie podcast. I'm your host, Mirella Amato. Today on Hot Plate, coming to you from the isolation of our homes. Less than juice, juicy zest, a juicy treatment, and a juicy intruder. Joshna! Hi, Mirella! We're doing another episode! Very exciting, very exciting. Yes. This one one appears to have a bit of a theme, huh? A juicy theme. Let's do it. What's off the top? The first thing I wanted to talk about is this company I came across called Better Juice. Yes. And this company has come up with an enzymatic technology to reduce naturally occurring sugar in juice. And it reduces it to about 80% and turns it into some kind of dietary fiber that uh, are, that isn't digested by the body. And for those of our listeners who aren't familiar with enzymes, these are naturally occurring molecules that speed up chemical reactions. So from the world of beer, I can tell you that enzymes play a role in the mashing process. So when we take grains and we want to turn them into beer, the, the starch in those grains has to turn into sugar so that the yeast can ferment the sugar. And there are enzymes in the grains that naturally do that. So that's a natural way that enzymes are used in the brewing process. And another way that enzymes are used is they can be introduced optionally to break down gluten. So some gluten-free beers are made completely as a normal beer with gluten in it. And then these natural enzymes are thrown in and they chew up the gluten and break it down to something that's digestible. So this is... A and there's there enzymes process. in our gut, right? We yeah. have our own natural digestive enzymes working away with our pipes on the inside. Yeah, so the reports are that this juice ends up pretty much smelling the same. The taste is close. Obviously, you can tell it's less sweet. And the vitamins remain. And companies are apparently super excited about this. Yes. But are we excited about this is the question. Uh, I am not excited about this. <laughs> I am not excited. I am not at all excited about this. Uh, And while I understand the biology of what's happening, the first line of the piece is, we found a way to convert all types of sugar into molecules that are not digested by our body. To me, that is not necessarily a thing to celebrate. Right? Because, uh, Because essentially... We're, what we're chasing here is an imbalanced experience. We want all of the sweetness without the natural consequences of consuming that sweetness. Of course. Right? It's ridiculous. Not to mention uh, that we do need some, like it's better to, to consume something that you are absorbing than to consume something that you're not. Well, this is like, it. There's the not enough intention about what the waste avenue on this looks like, right? What is, you know, because fiber, like fiber is one of these undigested bits. Yeah. Right, that that's what helps to keep things regular and keep things moving the way they need to, which is great and helpful. But what else are we doing here? What are the other bits that are being added to this? Um, I was, I was, I, I think it's a little too. I think we're tipping too far into the manipulation uh, category here around uh, and humans making their food be the thing that they, exactly the thing that they want it to be. Yeah, for me, it's more the the flip side. Because juice is healthy. It doesn't yep. need to be altered. Yep. And so this, and you know, it, 
did not surprise me at all that this is uh, something that companies are falling over themselves to acquire it does. because it's we're true. living in a very anti-sugar phase yes. right now. And specifically this year, I've read a number of articles talking about how suddenly consumers mm. are way more concerned about sugar. But guess what? If you're concerned about sugar, juice is not where you should be looking. The districts, yeah, you know, that's put exactly down the processed it. food, put down the pop. And if it is juice, that's the issue. Then you are drinking too much juice. Yes. Right? I think that, I think that's it because what, what I see a lot of is people being like, we want to just want something we can chug. Uh, right. And, and a whole thing of orange juice or, you know, whatever it is, has too even too much naturally occurring um, sugar. Right. And that that's the thing that people want to stay away from. And I'm like, you got to just stay away from the juice. Ch- chug water. Yeah. Or, or, or dilute. Uh, you know, I like to, I like to dilute yeah. my juice in water. I do too. That's an option. But yeah, because the. It would have been one thing if this was about real concerns. Like if they said, you know, this is for diabetics or, you know, uh, people who have sugar, but that's really not how this is positioned. Not at all. And this is really about companies who want to sell more product, not companies who want to take care of people. Oh no. And they want to sell more and they want to, you know, continue to encourage overconsumption, which is to me what this does. It's like, I don't know if you remember the very early days of, you know, fat-free snacks and people just took that as a green light of, Oh, that means I can eat as much of this as I want. I I I firmly believe. Yes. And this sort of falls into that mentality. I completely agree. It's consumption without consequences. All right, there's something here that I need to talk about, and that is zest. And I'm talking citrus zest. I'm talking the nice, the colorful outside of oranges, limes, and lemons. Um, I I have been noticing that uh, just, okay, look, I'm home, I'm watching a fair amount of television, and I'm doing a bunch of cooking videos as well. And something I have really noticed is very different approaches to how people take the zest off of a piece of citrus. Right. So listen, the way the way I do it and the way I have learned to do it was that I have a very I have a a rasp, which is like a a, a very sharp, very small grater. Mm -hmm. I I have my I anchor my rasp on the board or I just sort of hold it in my hand above the bowl and I roll the citrus constantly moving and adjusting because I just want to essentially grate off the colorful outside, the yellow, the orange, or the green, and not take any of the bitter white pith that is right underneath. Right. So you're moving the fruit back and forth on the grater. I'm exactly. I'm Because roll- you sent me that video and the person's holding the fruit in their hand and then right. sawing and back, like and forth sawing the, back and forth. And very authoritatively, right? Very authoritative. This is, this is how you do it. And and I just had a moment of, what? Okay, I'm glad to hear that because I saw that and you could see, right? The, the, that, the dude in the video was holding the grater upside down and he was back and forthing on, I think it was an orange, uh, right? And you could see that the zest was, pool, was piling up and he was talking about how it was sort of a tidy little catch area and then that could sort of get, you know, put into a bowl or whatever your mm-hmm. application was. The thing that I noted, though, was that his final product was really wet 
and mushy. Oh, right. Yes. And when I zest, I didn't get that far. It is like light little tendrils of zest. It's a, it's a drier, it's a much drier thing. Well, that's Maya, what it should be. Maya, that's what I think. That is what I think. Uh, I and but but I saw so much of this rub the rub the zester on the citrus. It just feels so uh, ineffective to me, right? Because the, what you're trying to do, in addition to getting the flavor, is you want to release the oils in the mm-hmm. skin, which is why you sort of hold the, the zester over the bowl, right? And when you do it small scale, like in a cocktail or something, you do all of this over the drink. So some of all the vapors and the oils can get caught by the thing that you're making, right? But you, I feel like you lose all of this in this, in this back and forth mashing up uh, approach. And so I, I was so curious about this that I even went to Twitter uh, and Twitter allows you to do a little survey. And I just wanted nice. to test the waters and yeah. ask my, the, my Twitter followers. Uh, I was like, how do you zest? What do you do? And I gave them both options. And like 64% of people said that they do it the way I do it with the, the rasp anchored on the board and the roll down. Um, and another like almost 30% of people said that they did it the other way. But isn't this, isn't, this must be a skill that they teach in chef school. Of course, it's a you skill. Must have, okay, so the way you do it is the way you were taught it. This is what this is. Yeah, that's what I'm. Okay. Doing. Yes. So I guess this person from this video was taught somewhere a different school of grating. Oh, uh, clearly. Well, listen. Full disclosure: I know that 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 video was is is in the line of the Martha Stewart um, empire. Okay. It's her. So, it is one of her peeps. So what would that mean? Well, it just you know uh, otherwise Martha generally uh, you know pays attention. And it is somewhat of an authority on things like this. But on this particular issue, I was like, huh, I'm delighted to hear that you also had a like, really? You're probably going to do it that way? Well, that was my first reaction. And then I, I took a step back and I do have to untangle this all with you. If, okay. Okay. Bear with me for a sec. Because I I also realized that I, I use a completely different tool. So oh, okay. I have what I would call a cheese grater. I'm sure you've seen them. They're the ones they they are, I think it's called a trapezoid. So there's like four sides to them. And there's, you know, the one side that's (laughs) for the, for the mozzarella and the lasagna. And then there's a box grater. Thank you. Mm -hmm. And the box grater, one of the sides just has little, like tiny little peaks. It looks like someone just went in with the back and took a hammer. And it's, they're protruding, the little bits protruding. Right. So to me, that's a, cheese grater and that's what I use for zesting and then I got even further confused because in that video what that gentleman was using was a microplane which yes. I consider to be for spices so then I went into this okay. moment of like, what am I supposed to use to to zest or both anyway I just was hoping you could untangle all that because it made did make me think of Obviously, the quality of the zest is going to be different if I'm using a microplane versus a cheese grater, but neither mm-hmm. of those things are actually called. Is there something called a zester that's a completely different no, tool? No, okay. There is no, there is no zester. Uh, the microplane is the brand name of a rasp. Okay. Right. So that long, thin, very sharp, small blades. Right. Because yes. there is the same size grate on your box grater, but it's not nearly as sharp. And, and is that designed for, because to me, that's designed for nutmeg and those kinds of applications, which is very different. It's from, this, it it, it, it works the same way. I okay. use I use my rasp for Parmesan, chocolate, nutmeg, citrus. Okay. Yes. All of those things. Whereas I use a cheese grater 
or parmesan and citrus and the uh the microplane for nuts for, for the, spices for right okay that's super interesting i think so now i feel like we all have to just do some experimenting of other people's approaches uh to really check it all out so if that pokey thing on the cheese block Mm -hmm. The grating block isn't for zesting. What is it for? I actually saw a video recently where someone said that it was great for Pecorino uh, Romano. Right? It was a video. Oh. For, it was a Cacio e Pepe video. And the, the, the cook there, he said, I want you to use that cheese grater because they didn't want long grates of cheese. They wanted the little crumbles and that protruding. He said, use the one that has the little protruding bits. It was very fascinating. There's a lot to learn here, Marilla. That's so interesting because, yeah. I, I mean, I'm assuming it's just, I always thought that that side of it was for the citrus. And it must just oh, be because that's how people in my family used it. And certainly yeah. there was no, uh, sorry, I keep saying the brand name. What is that other thing called? Rasp. A rasp. There was no rasp in the house. Oh, right. So, so I guess, it, you know, necessi necessity breeds invention. I think so. And that well, was and the, the closest thing at hand. I think you're right because the the lore behind the rasp is that um, it the it was it's a wood shop tool, right? It's a wood rasp is the name of oh, it. Oh, really? It's a wood shop tool, and there's this lovely story that the the wife of um, the man who of uh, the I think her name is actually Marion Lee of Lee Valley Tools, mm -hmm. right? She wanted a, a finer grate for chocolate and nutmeg than the box grater was offering her. And she literally went poking around in her husband's wood shop, found that wood rasp and brought it into the kitchen. Um, and there, that is sort of one avenue of a story about how this long, thin grater of a tool made its way into the kitchen. All right. I feel good about my, my box grater then. Yeah. I think. <laughs> yes. if, uh, you know, I'd rather use yes. some, yeah, I'm just as comfortable using something that was designed for cheese than something that Precisely. was designed for wood. For wood. That's um, exactly it. I guess as long as it works. Uh, I think that's it. Uh, right. And, uh, and it's, it's fascinating to see that there's this much material to actually cover in the conversation about something as simple as uh, zesting a bit of citrus. But I will try the rasp because I, I bought one just for cocktail purposes and might as well bring it into the kitchen. And oh, honey, for sure. For sure. I'd love to know what you think about the, the, the drier, wispier version of the citrus zest that's going to come out of that. I came across an interesting story, mm -hmm. Joshna, and this is going on in the U.S. Their company, Ocean Spray, which makes those cranberry juice beverages. Very popular, sure. Are they? Yeah, they're, in terms of Ocean Spray is probably one of the biggest on this continent, anyhow, of, of cranberry, commercial cranberry product production, or, you know, let's say. Nice. So what they did is they... Uh, approached the FDA because they wanted to be able to put a label on their cranberry juice. I'm going to put juice in air, air quotations, uh -huh. uh, saying that it's good for treating uh, UTIs. Right. And the FDA has gone ahead and offered text, but it's, it's, I'm going to read it to you. It's so qualified. I yeah, enjoyed, I really enjoyed reading it. So it says, consuming one serving each day of cranberry juice beverage may help reduce the risk of recurrent urinary tract infection in healthy women. FDA has concluded that the scientific evidence supporting this claim is limited and inconsistent. I mean, you might as well just not have a, uh, yeah. uh, a label at that point. 
I agree. Um, maybe uh, they're hoping the person will just read the first sentence. Yeah, or just see that there's some sort of like professional fine print and jump in. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, I. Um, I. I. I mean, I, as somebody who has had a UTI uh, and has in fact used cranberry as part of the therapeutic uh, course, uh, I was drinking that like here in in Toronto and Ontario we have Black River, which is a company that makes like serious juice, and their cranberry juice has bits in it. It is a bit chewy and it is tart and you cannot drink a lot. Like you have to drink a tiny little bit um, because it is intense. But for something like a UTI, that is the purest version of a thing that you can get aside from smashing down those berries yourself, right? Yeah, I did do a little digging. So there's cranberries have something called proanthocyanidins, which uh, have been proven to be beneficial in preventing UTIs. Uh, but the debate rages. So some doctors say it absolutely helps. Some people, some doctors say actually you would need a more concentrated form. So you probably need it in, in pill, pill form. Um, but you know, none of them are saying what you really should have is a cranberry juice beverage. That's also crammed with sugar, which is the last possible thing. I mean, in terms of UTI sugars are the worst for to support an infection. Exactly. Um, and that's where I got a little stuck with this whole story. Yes. And I got particularly stuck. I don't know if you, I was not aware of this. I don't know if you're aware of this, but ocean spray does make a pure cranberry juice. Oh, I didn't know they made that. Okay. They, make a, they make a pure cranberry juice. They also sell straight cram, straight up cranberries. Yes. I didn't know that. And then they sell this cranberry. What are they calling it? Cranberry juice beverage. Right. And cranberry supplements. But caveat, their supplements are chewy and delicious, which tells me also crammed with sugar. Yes, and then gelatin, yes. And I just don't understand why the the two that they went ahead and tried to get the labels for are the two crammed with sugar. Yes. They did not seek... It's just business. This is just about big business. And essentially, essentially, it is a company that knows that their product is not a pure product, but that there is this cultural leaning towards using cranberry juice for things like UTIs. And so they were just like, come on, help us sell this thing. Right? Essentially, that was the effort here. Because it's... um, with the sugary cocktail is not the thing at all that people should be consuming. Um, Absolutely not. And I understand that their cranberry beverage is selling better than cranberry juice. Cause as you mentioned earlier, cra- cranberry juice is pretty intense. It's hard to drink. Uh, yeah. I enjoy it. I actually, <laughs> I, I squeeze lime into it. Oh my God. You're amazing. <laughs> um, and then I add a little bit of carbonated water and I just love that, but it is intensely, intensely tart. Oh, the you pucker is much of it. serious. Uh, and listen, the other thing that felt really murky to me mm-hmm. is that my understanding has never been about prophylactic use of the cranberry, to, uh, you know, uh, in, in Prevent- addressing for prevention. UTI. I've yeah. always thought of it was a therapeutic use of cranberry yeah. right on the other end when you know that you've got it and then you and then you load up on the cranberry. Um, so this I feel like this prophylactic thing is a bit of a shot into nowhere, really. It's interesting that that came as a surprise to me as well, because I've certainly heard it used for treatment rather than than prevention. From what I've seen, the science is leaning more towards it's great 
for prevention if you're otherwise healthy and are having like a string of them and just mm-hmm. want to break that pattern it uh it does help to do that but uh, again you know some doctors are say this is nonsense and some doctors they, they, there's no one really pronouncing themselves but interestingly in france on actual real cranberry juice there is uh, a note saying that uh, that it is good for for treating uti for for treatment of uti yeah for therapeutic so, use of it. okay mm-hmm. huh. um, that's, and, I love it. That's and clear. I was particular. I don't know. It, it kind of gave me the warm fuzzies because I didn't realize cranberries are North American thing. Yes. So on their label, it says North American cranberries. Oh, like, oh look at us. We, we yes, did something yes, right. Yes, that is definitely, <laughs> definitely one of the one of the one of the original indigenous uh, berries here for sure. So yeah, I'm sure beneficial when not crammed with tons and tons of sugar. Sugar and color. Oh. Uh, once again, right? Literacy, literacy, literacy. We have to know what we're actually talking about. There's a difference between cranberry juice and cranberry juice beverage. Yeah. And again, as with our better juice company, uh, a sales tactic disguised as a health right. concern. So squeezing out the last few drops of this juice theme, nice. we're on to pickles. I like it. <laughs> Naturally, we're on to me. <laughs> <laughs> and this is an article that was making the rounds. I don't know if you caught it. I didn't. It's beer themed. It originated on a site called Lifehacker, and it was picked up by a very large number of other websites. Okay. And this life hack, which, as you know, is one of my favorite things on the planet. <laughs> is, I, that would that hit me first? I was like, "Oh, are you already irritated that they're calling it a hack?" Yeah. Yes. So irritated. Um, and the idea is that if you have a cheap, flavorless beer, you can make it taste better by putting a pickle in it. And I quote: "The pickle gives the beer flavor, something it desperately needs, and the salt tastes particularly welcome on a hot, sweaty day." And by all accounts, so all what these other websites did is they tasted it and they all agree that it tastes great, which I'm willing to believe. Sure, me too. Because it's tasty. But the question arises, why? 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 It doesn't make any sense to me at all. Right? I... Uh, I was was like, this is not... I, I I don't understand it. Because essentially, we're like safe to say that you are buying cheap beer because you maybe can't afford any more beer, you know, any, 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 you know, any, any different. I would beer question you that, but continue. Well, okay. Uh, because they kept mentioning that it was about cheap beer. Right. So yes. I was like, so why, why does somebody buy cheap beer? Because that is the beer that they can afford. So the idea of like being able to sort of doctor up a something to stay within your budget. Um, that's, that's sort of what I was first approaching this. And so the idea that you would then have to buy something else to put into your cheap beer to make it taste better does not make any sense to me. Never mind the fact that there was also mention of the fact that you should take the pickle out after one or two minutes, right? Because or else it's, it's too intense. Otherwise it's too intense and it, the pickle becomes super bossy and takes over the whole thing. So then I'm like, okay, now we're going to, with our fingers, we're going to dive into this glass of beer and pull out the pickle spear. Ew. And then are we going to eat it? Are we going to put it on the table? Like, what are we going to do with it? Like, I, 
I, I would imagine a pickle soak. Uh, sorry, a beer soaked pickle is probably quite tasty. I, I would agree with you. I would um, agree with you. But I would eat it. I did a little number crunching because this whole thing, this whole hammering in of the cheap beer, caught my attention. Yes. And so I, and this is rough math, but I had a look, and a jar of pickles is on average about five five dollars. Okay. And I'm I'm guessing the you know the full size pickles how many do you, i i guessed roughly 20 in a jar is that a good guesstimate a full size pickle of which there's either they're either quartered or in sixths to get in the individual portion that's so rough, roughly 20 pieces i just mm-hmm. i'm uh yeah. i usually buy the baby pickles which is not what they're talking about so okay. it's hard for me to guesstimate so that so we're talking about five cents per pickle here yeah right um, and then I, I compared the price of uh, a cheaper beer. Uh, I think Pabst, we can all agree, is yep. one of the more discount beers, and we can all agree very lightly flavored. Yep. And at the LCBO, that's two dollars and five cents for the can. And then I found uh, Vernus Grüner Pilsner, which is a very flavorful pilsner right. that comes out of Germany. Two dollars uh, and ten cents a can. So that's oh. a five cent difference. Um which is exactly how much more you're paying for that pickle. So I, I don't know. I'm not, I feel like this, the whole like affordability piece is not really what this is. It's, about. It doesn't see, it, it, it doesn't seem to be. And um, the bigger question for me is if you want flavorful beer, why aren't you buying flavorful beer? Well, this is the like, okay. So to further on this bit, there were links about other places because the the other issue here is that many news agencies have picked this up, right? Many. Like there were many, many different articles with the same Eureka light bulb bit of advice about putting a pickle in your cheap beer to make it taste better. Mm-hmm. And so simple most was one of them. And I, I, I read that piece. And the thing there was that the author seemed more to have a philosophical objection to craft beer. You right? just hit the nail uh, on the head. Right? Yes. And, and, that, and that he drinks cheap beer out of principle. Right? And so yep. and my response was like, I think you deserve that watery flavor with your fist in the air. Also, what principles are these? I would yeah, like to I know. Yeah, I have, like, what, what's, what, what, what is it? What have you orchestrated in your mind about craft, you know, of craft beer that's so horrible uh, that, you, that you're going to now, uh, you know, just choose to buy cheaper beer, which is, and, and I mean, look, the other pieces, they kept on saying that it tastes better. It makes it taste better. Right. But I was like, what is, what is actually bad? What is bad about the flavor is, is that it's diluted. That is the badness mm-hmm. of the flavor of cheap beer. It's dilution, right? Because real good flavor has not been developed because that's what costs money to actually go through those processes and do all of that. Um, and so really this is just about open space from a flavor perspective, right? Yeah. It's not, there's nothing more discreet or nuanced happening here. And a pickle is bossy and in your face with sourness and salt. Yeah. And tasty. Yeah. Super tasty. Right. And, and much like, um, and it works because it like the pickle keeps you wanting the beer and the beer makes you want the pickle. And then you just sort of like a, you know, at a bar or a happy pendulum swinging back and forth. But you can also have a really delicious, well-made Pilsner. And a deep fried pickle on the side. Yeah. And that'll be way more I delicious agree. and satisfying and pretzels. also textually yeah. interesting. Uh, but, I'm with you. Yeah. So you really hit the nail on the head earlier with why this has upset me so much. And it has to do with this 
ongoing association that people really want to hold on to that craft beer is somehow snobby. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. it's, you know, it's, it's as if liking, for example, a, a break of cheddar over craft cheddar slices is snobby. Yes. It's, it's not snobby. It's yes, just, I, I hear it's that a, a different, lot in the, yeah, in the local a different food world, we hear that totally. Do they right? say that about cheese as well? Uh-huh. And about like bread and pots of honey. You know what I mean? There's this like the resistance to the excessive luxury. You know what I mean? It's a bit snobbish with your whole grain sourdough and the, you know, whatever wild but time when did honey. the When did the integral whole product become the snobby option? <laughs> it, it's a good question, right? It's a really good question. For sure, there's some money and class stuff, I think, uh, underpinning a lot of that. Um, uh, but this was just, I had no idea what this man's problem was with craft beer, right? Yeah. He, he, he was very dismissive, but also nondescript. Yeah. The, well, the original life hack article, uh, this, the person who wrote it claimed a quote unquote allergy, which was in quotations, oh God. that's all the which was not, you. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Um, that's true. It is all the triggers. And then life hack on top of it and Mireles yeah. just lost. But um, it just really reminded me that craft beer has come so far in terms of its acceptance, but yeah. there's still a lot of people who just want to cling to the notion of, you know, no, beer should be, uh, you know, f- as flavorless as possible and just something that I can pound back to get a buzz Right. Because, you know, that's what it was historically for years before yes. we got imports in craft beer. And yeah, I didn't like this positioning. I mean, it's true. Some craft beers are quite costly, mm-hmm. but you can get a very good flavorful beer, as I illustrated earlier, for like a, yes. few, a few cents more than, uh, you know, this, this is made in Germany following the Bavarian purity law, all natural ingredients. Come you on, know. the Bavarian purity law. Um, so, yeah, it just really depressed me. It made me think of the articles that I used to read before I started. That The, the articles that got me into craft beer, you know, like mm-hmm. how to open, you know, five ways to open a beer bottle without an opener and how do you, right. uh, which toilet paper is best the morning after and that, which is oh. an article I literally I found in a beer magazine, like that sort of wow. level of, you know, let's just pound the beer back and not think about it too much. Um, it's just, and yeah, I don't, I and don't I'm very open to put a, putting a pickle in beer. It's probably delicious. Yes, <laughs> uh, it is. So that's not the the issue. It's I, just I the tone and and everything around it. It really and is it is sad. and and the the calling it a hack suggests as though they found a smarter way to consume beer. If you're enjoying our podcast, please support us at patreon.com slash hotplatepod. Hotplate is part of the Frequency Podcast Network. Please consider leaving us a rating or review. It helps others find us. You can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at hotplatepod. Follow me at Beerology on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. And follow Joshna at Joshna Maharaj on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Original music by Dave Bell. Hot Plate is produced by Mirella Amato, that's me, and Dennis Coyne. Thanks for listening.